0: Uh, But we are in uh, Romans chapter 8, and uh, last week we looked at, uh, uh, I think we picked it up in about verse 19, uh, verse 18 or 19, and we got down through about verse 23, or at least part of verse 23, and I would like to pick it up. Uh, there today and read on or uh, go on down through about verse 27, hopefully. So that's kind of the objective. Uh, Let's pick up and read beginning in verse 18. And uh, then we'll review a little bit and go on from there. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us or as I suggested in our study, I think perhaps it would be better to read that as in us. Uh, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For, in hope, we have been saved; but hope that is seen is not hope for he who, for who hopes for what he already sees, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay? Uh, So look back there in those verses 18 through 23 or so and, and see if we can recall a little bit of some of the things we talked about in the last week or so. What sticks out in your mind is important from those verses.
1: All creation is subjected to futility.
0: Yeah. All creation. What does that mean? We talked about what that meant, that it's subjected to futility. Do you remember? No. <laughs>
1: I remember what I thought over the years, when I remember what you said. <laughs> Which may have been not
0: well, let's hear what you've been thinking over the years.
1: <laughs> Ever since the fall, all of creation is been warped, and we see it in creation. We feel it in our own lives, mm-hmm. and all the world systems, all of everything that God created, has been corrupted. Okay. And so the question then is that I've been thinking about is extrapolating. Okay, so that's true now. What is the new heaven and new earth going to be like, and what's it like when it's not corrupted? So he doesn't talk about it here.
0: No, he doesn't, but it does talk about it in Scripture. Yeah. (laughs) Good.
1: Your analogy of the lion taking down the antelope.
0: Uh huh. And the
1: antelope is frustrated.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Frustration
1: with, you know, because he's talking to you hard about this. This Specifically, last week with the scripture, it comes with the lion.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, we talked about the the fact this idea of futility is the idea of frustration. Creation longs to be what it was created to be. So, in my kind of uh, uh, maybe pedantic uh, illustration there of the lion chasing the antelope, the idea is the antelope knows he's he's built to live. Okay. So, when the lion comes after him, he doesn't just lay down and go, okay, you know, I realize I've been destined to be your dinner. And so, here I am. I'm your dinner. You know, he and he instinctively knows, if you will, that he's created for life. So, he flees. He runs from the lion uh, as the lion pursues him. And, uh, and, and that's just kind of a metaphor for all of creation. All of creation just... Yearns to live. So we have a uh, we have a uh, like a massive forest fire. And if any of you have traveled out west uh, through the mountains, you've traveled through areas that maybe have had a large forest fire in years past. And you travel through an area that's just been swept over by a forest fire, say ten or fifteen years ago. And what what do you find there? You find just life springing up again. It just, just it just wants to grow. It wants to be alive. And uh and so what we find then is that is that creation is frustrated because it can't be what it was originally designed to be. Okay. Anything else? I heard some comments. It's
1: an interview. A talk. Interview with uh, Martin Weinstein. I don't know if you all heard about him. What was the name again? Wine Oh, okay. He, he was. Uh, he's been interviewed uh, by Bill O'Reilly. And Bill O'Reilly kind of danced around with the questions that he gave him, but uh, Mr. Weinstein's responses were quite smooth. He didn't want you to think that he was really against Christianity, although if you read his writings, though would know he was ultimately against all Christian activity in this military no, service, particularly Christian Whipping uh, things huh? mm-hmm. that Christ is their Lord and that they have a need for salvation. So he didn't bring that up, but I got the feeling that he really, really, really wanted to make this case that, you know, he's a, not an unreasonable person. Uh, it's, it's like if you were watching the world pretend to be a sheep. <laughs> and you knew, you knew that conversation that he was kind of full of it. Mm-hmm. it was his, I think he was just entirely upset that anybody would really want somebody to be saved. Uh-huh. So no. wow. And, and I, think, I think about that with, with our aspect of Frustration in the mm-hmm. universe, mm-hmm. there is an ultimate frustrated person that really wants the whole argument of Christianity to be gone, therefore, he will be disturbed by it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Good point. Mm-hmm. Great. I
1: heard, I think it was on the day secular, the same guy, an excerpt, it was, it was outrageous. And he was just uh, He was mocking Christ, uh, he was held Christian in front of pigs. And, uh, and this is the guy that the Obama administration is allowing to help set the policy of the military. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but I don't know, I, I just almost got the point that they're turning the military against Christians, which will come to the very at some point. I mean, you're going way down the road, but you almost see yeah. the military could come out of this. Mean, you couldn't imagine our military turning against our people but if
0: they get brainwashed like that, they could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that touches on some of the things we're going to talk about today about not only does creation have to wrestle with this frustration, but we as individuals (laughs) wrestle with it too. Yeah, for sure. What else from last week's lesson that you remember? The
1: comparison between the... Difficulties. In fact, I guess that was in verse 18. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. The comparison with the difficulties we have now with what will be revealed in glory. Yeah. uh, I thought that was a great perspective you had to compare what I would call a perspective. You just highlighted it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Not original with me, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Yeah. Yes. uh, That actually comes from a couple weeks ago, our discussion a couple weeks ago that that the things that we suffer that seem so overwhelming are uh, in, in one sense they're a comparison although we can't compare that's Paul's point they cannot be compared but if we think about how overwhelmed we are by our sufferings at times uh, that gives us some sense or some idea of how great our glory is going to be because he says the two can't be compared it's just the glory is going to be so overwhel- so much overwhelmingly greater so I
1: guess one more thing. I like your the Holy Spirit, the earnest. Uh huh. That's a very good idea because it's like this is just the beginning.
0: Yes. 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 So we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about how He is the first fruits uh, of the inheritance that we are going to receive, and we talked about. Uh, we talked about uh, how, how Paul in another place he says he is he is our earnest he's our down payment. We talked about about the fact that the down payment is not merely a promise. A down payment is actually part of the ultimate price. So when you pay a thousand dollars for a twenty thousand thirty thousand dollar car when you finally go in to actually get pick up the car, you don't pay twenty thousand dollars. you pay nineteen thousand because you've already paid a thousand and we have already received the holy spirit he is the down payment he is the earnest so in one sense he's a promise but he's more than a promise he's actually part of the ultimate inheritance that we're going to receive uh so we we talked about that some uh another thought there and we didn't get into this last week cuz we didn't have time but another thought that's uh, that's uh that i find uh uh Edifying to think about there as he talks about our, our, the Holy Spirit being the first fruits. Okay, so it gives uh, uh, it kind of brings up in our minds the thought of, of how in the Old Testament the Lord established that there was the that there, there that there was the requirement uh, for people when they harvested their crops to bring the first fruits and to give them to God. So the idea of first fruits is the idea of the first portion of the crops. And one commentator pointed out something I never thought about before is it, how interesting it is that the Holy Spirit was given when? Pentecost. At Pentecost. Right, okay. What was Pentecost?
1: Pentecost was the celebration of Moses going down the mountain with heaven.
0: Uh, well, not exactly. No, no. Pardon? Okay, what what uh, what was it connected with? What was Pentecost connected with? Fifty
1: days after Passover.
0: Okay, fifty days after Passover, right? Which puts it a couple months after Passover, which puts it in the what? Early late summer, early fall, right? And so that places uh, yes, it the harvest has to the yes, it has to do with the harvest. After the first crop was brought in, and there are still other crops to bring in, they would have this great festival of feasts, Okay this great celebration, okay? So Pentecost is really associated with this whole idea of first fruits. And it's just kind of neat. I don't know if the Lord intended that connection or not, but it's kind of neat to think about that the, that the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church at Pentecost is kind of associated with this whole idea of the first fruits. So, uh, so that's one of the ideas that Paul's bringing out here is that is that we have received the Holy Spirit But what he's communicating to us here is that the Holy Spirit is just part of the inheritance. There's more of the inheritance to come. And it's not that he's just given us part of the Holy Spirit because he tells us he gives the spirit without measure. So it's not that he's just given us part of the Holy Spirit, but that in giving us the Holy Spirit, we have received we have only received part of the ultimate inheritance that we're going to receive. So. What we see Paul talking about here through Romans chapter 8, actually all the way through Romans chapter 8, is a phenomenon that commentators refer to as the already not yet aspect of Christianity, okay, of our faith. There are things that we already possess. There are things we already experience as believers, and then there's the not yet. There's still... More to come, okay? And that's really what Paul's talking about here. So, he's talking about how we have already received something. We have received this spirit of adoption, but there are still some things that we're waiting for, which he brings up then in verse uh, uh, 23 when he says, And not only this, but we ourselves... Having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And uh, uh, so, so, the idea there that he's bringing out is he's talked about how creation is groaning, creation is yearning, and the thing that creation is yearning for is our revelation as children of God. Okay? Because when we are revealed to be the children of God, creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption, from its slavery to futility, from its slavery to frustration of not being able to fully be what it was originally intended to be. And so it yearns for our revelation as God's children, which is part of the not yet. He's waiting for our revelation as children in order that it could be set free. But Paul says here, he says, now not only is creation groaning, and we talked about this last week, but we ourselves are groaning, right? You find yourself groaning? You know, I find myself groaning. I found myself groaning yesterday morning. I was driving through Iowa City and I get a text message on my phone and it tells me about a... A critical prayer need that somebody's having and, a, and asking for prayer. and so the first chance I got I, I got, I went for a walk and, and was praying and I found myself groaning for that need, you know I just and, and yearning for God to answer that particular prayer. And, uh, and so that's just that just goes with the territory, doesn't it, of being believers in this world. And so we we encounter like some of the things you guys were talking about earlier with this uh, guy that you you saw interviewed on. Television. And what, what's the response that we feel in our hearts? You know, there's this kind of, oh, you know, this and, and you just groan for a day when this world is set right. OK, we groan for that day when we are revealed to be the sons of God and the children of God. So. So, we have this groaning. And what specifically there in verse uh, 23 does he say that we are groaning for and that we're waiting for? Waiting for our adoption. We're eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons. Okay? Now, I thought we were already adopted. Isn't that what he said in verse 15? We are? Well, then why are we waiting for it?
2: It's already, but it's not yet. There
0: we go. Okay. It's the already, not yet. So in in verse 15, he tells us, we have received already, we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we are already adopted. But there's another another aspect of our adoption, which is the not yet aspect of our adoption. And he clarifies in verse 23 specifically what that is. What is that other part of our adoption that has not yet occurred? The redemption of our bodies. Okay. Now, when he uses this term redemption of our body, he's carrying on the same thought That he was that he was uh, he's using a different word here, but it's the same idea that he was that he was articulating when he was talking about the creation being set free. Okay, it's the idea of creation is, is going to be is yearning for that time when it's going to be set free from its slavery to corruption. And we ourselves also, just as creation is groaning to be set free so we also are groaning to be set free from our slavery to corruption now in the spiritual sense in the inner man we've already been set free paul says although the outer man is decaying the inner man is being renewed day after day right so we so this is where the the already not yet comes into play because because there's an aspect of us there's a part of us that has already been set free that inner man that spirit within us has been set free by God but we're still walking around in these bodies and in case you haven't noticed <laughs> they are still slaves of corruption right <laughs> there's you know and the longer we live the more keenly aware we become of how we are we are still physically slaves of corruption. So, so, what we're waiting for is that other part of our inheritance, that other part of our revealing as the sons of God, that other part of our adoption where our bodies are no longer enslaved to, to corruption, no longer experience that futility, that frustration of being a physical body. Because our physical bodies are like the rest of the physical creation. They're still slaves of corruption. Okay, But just as creation is going to be set free from that, the rest of the material, physical creation, is going to be set from, free from that. So your body and my body as well is destined to be set free from that slavery to corruption. And that's pretty cool to think about. I don't remember if I used this illustration last week i may have but but when i was a kid as i was growing up you know of course i grew up in a christian home my dad uh for a number of years uh, while i was a kid growing up was a pastor and so i had a lot of exposure to the christian faith and everything but you know i was always taught that you know when we died we went to heaven you know and we were going to spend eternity with god in heaven and you know and and that was kind of cool you know but to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I was a believer. I was a, even as a child, I was a, I was a Christian. To be honest with you, I just wasn't all that excited about going to heaven, because I thought life around here was pretty cool, you know, and uh, and I kind of enjoyed having a body, and I I wasn't all that, you know, all that into the idea of just kind of floating around in some kind of ethereal spirit on some you know floating along streets of gold or you know that just wasn't I wasn't into that but when i began to realize that what the scripture really teaches is that this body is going to be changed but I'm going to have a physical body. That's why God created me. He created me to have a physical that's what he wanted in the beginning. That's what he be, when he began with Adam and Eve, he didn't create them these ethereal spirits that just kind of floated around in some uh, you know, some mystical garden. It was a physical garden and he gave them physical bodies to enjoy. And to enjoy the things around him. And when I began to realize that that's what lay ahead for me really was the new heavens and the new earth and that I was going to be able to live with God on the new earth, with Christ on the new earth. And this got pretty exciting to me because as corrupted as our creation is today, I'm pretty infatuated with it. It's pretty cool. You know, as my wife and I were driving from Janesville to Iowa City, uh, when was this? <laughs> Friday afternoon as we were driving from James, you know, it was a rainy day, it rained the whole way and everything, you know, and my wife my wife loves those kind of days. I you know, I find them kind of dreary. But uh, they've had a lot more rain up there than we've had. In fact, all the rivers were either full or over full as we crossed them. Even the Mississippi was a little bit over its banks as we went across it. So they've had a lot so everything was green except for the parts around Des Moines that were covered with snow, okay? Now, that's another story. But everything was green, okay? And it was lush, and it's, you know, it's, uh, well, if you come from Iowa or Wisconsin or whatever, you know, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful land, you know. And it's just to drive through it and just enjoy the beauty of it. Creation, even in its fallen state, is overwhelmingly beautiful. And so it's, almost impossible to imagine what it's going to be like when it's redeemed, when it's set free from its futility. Yeah. And so so those are the things that lie ahead for us. And so what I find myself longing for, maybe not as much as I should, but, I, but if I think about it more, I'd long for it more, and I hope you long for it too, is that day when we finally realize the full, final installment of our adoption as sons. Now, Gabriel and I were talking about this thing about why does he keep talking about us being sons of God instead of children of God? Sometimes he talks about us being children of God, but he often talks about us being the sons of God. And in this passage, he uses the term children of God a little bit, but he more often uses the term sons of God. Why does he do that? I mean, you ladies probably like to think you're in on this deal too. So, you know, why did he use the term "sons of God"? What does that imply that the, that the more general term "children of God" doesn't imply? Yes, exactly. It's the idea of an inheritance. It's, and that's the whole idea that Paul's harping on all the way through this chapter, is our inheritance, okay? So the idea that we are the sons of God is implying this idea of the inheritance, okay? Herb, you look like you had something to say there. And not
2: just any son. Jesus. We are Jesus' brothers yes. and sisters. Yes in him. Yeah. We're not just any old son. Yeah. We're like him. Yeah. And those three daughters in the old testament whose father had those sons took Zelopa had and yeah. the others. Yeah. They took the inheritance of the brothers. That's right. And
0: yeah. it's absolutely and
1: all
2: of us are sons.
0: Yeah. And actually, we'll get into that in the verses that follow, verses 28, 29. 30, this whole idea uh, of of, uh, of of Christ just being the first among many brethren, and so we're going to get into that uh, as we go on in Romans chapter 8. Okay, so that idea is is uh, is yet in front of us. So so we have this adoption that we're waiting for, the the, the uh, final aspect of our adoption. And so as we wait for this adoption, what do we do? Verse 24. I think it's 24. Yes. What characterizes us as we are groaning, waiting for our adoption? Hope. Okay. He says, for in hope you were saved. But hope that's seen is not hope for who hopes for that which he already sees? But if we hope for that which we have not seen, with perseverance, he says, we wait eagerly for it. Okay, So, so he says, in hope, we were saved. Because what happens is, you, you get saved, and after a while, this thing about Waiting for the rest of your adoption can get a little old, right? You know, after a while, you go, you know, why can't we just have it now? Hell, you know? and Paul reminds us that this idea of hope goes right back to the beginning of your salvation. This is this just, this just goes with the territory, folks. This is this is what it means to walk with God. This is what it means to be a believer. In hope, he says, you were saved. Now, what's interesting to me is how difficult it is to distinguish between faith and hope. You know, they really aren't identical, but they're so closely linked together, it's very difficult to separate them. Because, say, I was trying to think about this the other day. I was thinking... Faith is really kind of that mindset that we have. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna place my confidence in God. Hope is that sense of anticipation that we feel. It's that that sense of, you know, it's really out there and I'm really gonna get it, you know. And uh and he says he says that that anticipation he says it was right there at the beginning when you were saved when you were saved when you were first saved hope was right there at the beginning it was part of that deal okay so it's so it's not something that comes later in the christian life once you get mature and you finally get mature enough that you can hope but hope was that, that was something that was right there at the beginning so don't be surprised in your Christian walk and in your Christian experience, if now you still have to find yourself hoping. That just goes with the territory, folks. It started at the very beginning. At the moment you believed, hope was there. that's kind of funny. I, I kind of played faith
1: with believing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's true, but I had a conversation with Daniel. He's studying philosophy... That's not about hope and something came up about Pandora's box, and I don't remember the story, but he said they'd through all these gifts, and at the bottom of the box was hope. But the Greeks saw hope as a negative. They said hope was a thing that prolonged suffering, you were suffering, but hope kept your life so you just kept suffering, and they looked at it as negative, and we were talking about things really sorry when you look at hope, and I know that's not the way we look at hope. But for us hope is a positive thing. Yeah. things will get better. And you know, that's maybe that comes to the difference between a secular yeah.
0: view of hope and a Christian view of hope. Yeah, and, and, and to a large degree, a secular view of hope is kind of the I hope so type of hope, isn't it? For the believer, it's a sense of certainty. He says we hope for the things that we have not seen, but Paul's making it very clear that those unseen things are inevitably going to happen. And so we hope for them. Now he says, we don't hope for things we have not seen. You know, kind of. uh, I mean, for the things we have seen. We don't hope for the things we have seen. We hope for the things that we have not seen. I was uh, thinking again about how, you know, over the last several weeks, we've, you know, as the weeks progressed, we kept anticipating more and more the arrival of this new granddaughter. You know. And as we contemplated that, we thought okay, you know, well, you know, at least Mary's got to get up there, you know, to Wisconsin to be able to help out for, you know, a week or two with this new baby, but You know, I'm thinking, you know, I want to see my grandbaby too, you know. I know I got somebody's got to bring in the bread and butter, but I want to go see my new grandbaby, you know. And so we began to kind of formulate plans about how to get married there right away and then how I could get up there soon and see the grandbaby. And I began to formulate a hope. And the closer we got to that time you know, the more intense that hope got. And, and you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was here in Sunday school class, we knew that, uh, that the last we'd heard that our daughter was in labor, you know. And I'm going, you know, I want to get out of this class because I want to find out what happened. And then I want to get my wife up there and I want to get up there as soon as I can. Okay. Now, Wednesday afternoon, I got on an airplane. And I flew to Chicago and my wife met me in Chicago and we drove on to Wisconsin and I walked up those steps into their apartment and I hugged my daughter and I held my granddaughter and all the hope was gone. I was no longer hoping because now I was experiencing what I was hoping for. You don't hope for the things that you see. You hope for the things that you don't see. And one of the most profound things to me as a believer in my relationship with God is the privilege of faith and hope. I can't, I don't know of a greater way to express to God my worship of Him in this life than to say, God, I trust you. And I have confidence that you will do what you say. And time and time and time again in my life, when I face difficulties and obstacles and things, I realize, okay, this is how I can worship God. This is how I can say to God, God, you are good. And you are true. And I believe you. And I trust you. And I have a sense of expectancy, God, in what you're going to do. And it's a way that I can worship God now that once I see Him, I will never be able to worship Him again like that. I'm sure I'll have great ways of worshiping God and very satisfying ways of worshiping God and ways that are very pleasing to Him when I see Him. But I will never be able to have the kind of faith that I can have now in this life. And so this idea of hope for that which we do not see that's that's really a privilege we have folks. That's really a way to worship God that we can have now that we will never have again once we've had the adoption of sons. So take the opportunity while you've got it to say God, you're good and I believe you're good. And I'm struggling through this situation and I'm overwhelmed by this situation now, but I I just declare, God, I know you are good. And that is how I today, I worship you, is by expressing to you that I know you're good. And however difficult this situation is, I believe you are good. We're going to get into a lot of that when we get into verse twenty-eight, where you know he talks about all things working together for good, and we're going to find out why all things work together and how it is that comes about. And you know, we'll get into all that in chapter in verse twenty-eight. But yes, I was thinking uh,
1: a lot of times when I have about hope, and I went back to the, chapter five where it says the hope is not disappointed, mm-hmm. and I was thinking how uh, many times in our lives sometimes I. I as a kid, or you're now looking forward to things, or a lot of times the highlight is your anticipation of being like
2: a kid at Christmas.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, it's never, it's, and it's good, but it's never quite maybe what you're right. paid, or you going on a vacation, or you're all you're looking forward to it, and it's never quite as good. And sometimes, it's, it, usually, it's never quite as good as you hope it is, but this kind of hope is going to be better. Yeah. It's not going to disappoint
0: yes and and actually, that's an important point, because the reason why the things we hope for in this life never quite are as are quite as satisfying as we maybe hope they would be is is because oftentimes we invest in those things of this life, the hope that they will be what only the next life will be, in other words. I You know, I, you know I, I want the satisfaction. I want the pleasure of a new car or a new job or a new this or a new that, and I hope for it. And then when I get it, you know, it's, it's cool, but it's not quite as cool as I was hoping it would be because oftentimes what we're really wanting is we're wanting that full satisfaction that will only come when we are in the likeness of Christ with Him. And so we invest in those things a little bit of idolatry yeah, is, is we're wanting those things to fully satisfy us. And, uh, and so, what we have to learn, and I think a lot of us learn this as we get older, is we learn, okay, these things that we, in this life, that we hope for and then we finally experience, as we look towards them, uh, hopefully as we grow older, we realize, okay, now I know that's not going to fully satisfy all my yearnings, because those will only be satisfied when I'm with Christ. But I can still look for those things, look forward to those things, anticipate those things, and enjoy those things uh, in this life because they are gifts of God and they are given to us. But because they are still part of that fallen, corrupted creation, uh, it's never going to be like it will be ultimately, finally, when, when we have our revelation as sons. Well, okay. So he says... Oh, yeah, her.
2: the problem of age, is of this almost not yet thing that you've been talking about, that we forget to look at the almost, and you've been describing to us that almost, mm-hmm. we forget to look at things like sunrises mm-hmm. that excite us when we we're children and sunsets and the birth of a new grandbaby, and... We lose sight of the fact that in these things, God has given us a micro glimpse
1: of yeah.
2: right. heaven itself. Yeah, That's right. this is the reality of the thing that is to come. And We lose that as we get older. We yeah. become dim and dull witted. Yeah, and we cease to be excited. Yeah, about the real life. Yeah, yeah. In trouble. But the real life that God is yeah. all around us. Yeah. And it's there. It's a picture of Him. We just forget yeah. to see.
0: Yeah. And let me add that when we're older, we don't need to be like that. We don't need to become dull with it. I think we can still, uh, still as, as we grow older, I think we can learn to continue to appreciate those things. We just eventually sometimes just get, so we take them for granted. And they're just kind of there. But God wants us to continue to delight and enjoy those things, and and this is completely off track. But thanks to Herb, but uh, <laughs> but but I think the reason we do is because we forget to give thanks. We we just get in the habit of seeing those things, and we forget to say, God, thank you for that sunset, or thank you for this thing or that thing. I find. Oftentimes it's, 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 it's so perverse how oftentimes I will pray and pray and pray and pray for something groan for it as he talks about here. And then God gives it and sometimes it's an hour or two before I remember to say thank you. Have you, know, you, know, you experienced that? You know, I experienced that. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why gratitude is so important is because it keeps that sense of wonder in this present world that God has given us, keeps that alive in us, uh, like we had when we were little children. That's another reason I think why God gives us grandkids, because we see their wonder, and then we go, "Oh yeah, that's what you know, that's where we're supposed to be." And that's all off track. So, uh, but so then He goes on, and He says, He says, uh, we've grown within ourselves, but we have this hope, and and we hope. He says, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. And it's, it's interesting to me, there are two characteristics there of hope in the life of the believer. Perseverance and eagerness. And and they really go together. One commentator was pointing out that there's, there's a lot of people who have, who have the perseverance, but they don't have the eagerness. In other words, they just kind of lost sight of of the eternity. They've lost sight of eternity and they're just kind of, you know, just, just kind of passively going along. So, it's, it looks like perseverance, but it's really just passivity. So, on the other hand, there are those that are so eager they don't persevere. Okay? and And the hope of the believer is characterized by both of these elements. It's characterized by by a a perseverance as we go through all of this suffering that we encounter because we're still in this body that's still part of creation and still subjected to futility. So, as we go through that, we persevere. And by perseverance, I think what he means is we keep walking the way we ought to walk even though we have not yet experienced what God has promised us. What's very easy to happen for us is as we encounter the difficulties of life and we lose sight of the hope, we get off track spiritually. We just kind of start living for the flesh, right? But the hope of the believer causes them to persevere, meaning not only that I go through this all this junk that I go through in this life, but I do it in a way that is honoring to God and pleasing to God. I persevere through these things. But I persevere with an eagerness. There's this sense of, you know, the closer I got to going to Wisconsin this week to see my granddaughter, the more eager I got. Right? So, by about, you know, I was going to leave on Wednesday and by about Monday, it's starting to become the only thing I can think about, you know. And by Tuesday morning, I, uh, or Wednesday morning, I was going to work uh, half a day for my customer Wednesday morning, you know, and, and, and then leave in the afternoon and I'm up there on the ladder and I'm scraping this wood and I'm, you know, and I'm going, how can I get a hurdle earlier? <laughs> you know, I really didn't want to be up there on that ladder, you know. I really didn't want to be doing this. And it was all I could do to make myself stay there till noon, you know. Because, you know, when you're self-employed like me, if you want to cut out, you can. You know, uh, you don't get paid for it. But, <laughs> but you know, and so I wanted to just, you know, about 10.30, I wanted to say, oh, forget this. Let's go. But I was I don't know really do. You know, I, my flight still isn't going to leave any earlier if I quit early, you know. So I had to persevere, but I did it with an eagerness because of a hope that I had. How's your hope? How's your hope in that ultimate revelation of you as a child of God, as a son of God? Well, so so then he says, not only this, he says, not only this, excuse me, no, in verse... uh, Uh, 26, in the same way, in the same way, he says, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, when he says in the same way, the spirit does such and such helps us. With our weaknesses, the question is what is he referring to what is what is the spirit doing in the same way that something else is being done? And there are a couple ways to look at that. One is that he's saying that the spirit helps us in the same way that hope helps us, okay because that's what came immediately before it and uh, and some commentators, as they look at it, that's how they understand it that it means, that it's a reference to the Holy Spirit helping us the same way hope helps us. But the other way, and, and this is the way that makes the most sense to me, is, is, he, is that his reference to in the same way is the Spirit is groaning in the same way we're groaning. So we're groaning and the Spirit's groaning. And the reason I think I prefer that particular way of viewing it is because groaning seems to be the theme in these verses, right? He's talked about Creation groaning. And then he said, he said not only that, but we ourselves groan. And now I think in the next, in this verse here, he's saying in the same way or in a similar manner, the spirit groans. Now it's in a similar manner, but it's not identical because the spirit's groaning is different than our groaning. Because the spirit's groaning has a content to it which is more on target than our groaning. See, we groan we grown cuz we're suffering and we're encountering the the difficulty of living in this body that's still subject to corruption and so we grown through all the things we suffer through as a result of the not yet okay and so we we grown but but Paul says when we pray we don't really know how to pray as we should right now, what he's talking about there, he's not talking about our prayer techniques. He's talking about our content, right? Because that's what he starts talking about. He starts talking about the, the content of the Spirit's prayer, which is that he prays according to the will of God. Okay, and the difficulty that we experience because we are still in these physical bodies is that we don't know how to pray for things as we ought. We don't. We don't really know. Exactly what we should pray, and like I say, it's not an issue of technique. When I was a little child, I was taught to pray in certain ways: you bow your head, you close your eyes, you hold your hands. Right? Why do we teach children to pray like that? <laughs> So they'll quit playing with their milk while we're trying to say grace at the table, right? Why do we teach them to bow their heads? Okay, it's an expression of reverence, you know. But there are other ways we can express reverence in our posture besides bowing. Have you ever prostrated yourself? Have you ever just got down on the floor, just put your face in the carpet, you know, and got down on the floor and spread your arms out and cried out to God. Like, that's another expression of humility and submission to God. You know, I do that sometimes. I don't do it all the time. But I do that sometimes. Yeah. It's a, so there, so it, the technique isn't the issue. I have spent a whole lot more time in prayer on my feet, walking with my eyes open. Because that's the best way I know how to pray. Keeps me awake because <laughs> I have what do they call it, narcolepsy or whatever? You know, I don't really, but I feel like it at times where you, you know you get you sit still, <laughs> you fall asleep. You know, well that's the way I am. You know, if I sit still, I fall asleep. And so, so in prayer, I got I, oftentimes if I want to pray for any pe- length of period, I need to be moving around. Plus, another reason I pray oftentimes with my eyes open is because because I'm because I'm trying to obey Paul's admonition to pray without ceasing doesn't mean don't ever stop praying. He means just always be, you know, in this attitude of prayer. God is with me. He's present with me. And so as I'm driving down the road, I pray. As I'm going to work in the morning, I thank God I have a job to go to, you know. Uh, I, you know, there's just all kinds of times during the day when it's just not appropriate to fold my hands and close my eyes and bow my head. If I do, I might wreck, right? Or walk into a tree. And so, uh, so at any rate, it's not the technique that's important here. But Paul says, we do not know how we should pray as we ought." Now, there's another little word there that is significant to me. And that's the word we. Why is that significant? It's an encouragement to me, actually. Paul has the same problem. has got the same problem. You know what? So oftentimes when I'm praying, I, go, I just don't know how to pray about this. And I think if I was just more spiritual, you know, if I if I knew the Bible better, you know, if I was a better prayer warrior, if I had more practice in prayer, maybe I could pray better about this. Well, probably all that's true, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Even Paul himself is the one who said pray without ceasing and whose prayers we read in the New Testament as a model for us of how to pray for others confesses and says I don't know how to pray as I should. I don't know how to pray as I should. But he says we have the Holy Spirit. But remember, he's already established that the Holy Spirit is not something out there now. Okay, Because we've already learned the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He has entered into us. We have received the spirit of adoption. So as the Spirit prays, he's praying from within our hearts. And he is interceding for the holy ones, the saints. He is interceding for the saints, he He says. says, With groanings too deep for words. Now, I I don't know why the Holy Spirit has to groan.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That may be it. That
0: may be it. That may be it. But... But what was comforting to me in that, I was meditating on this this morning, what's comforting in that is creation groans, we groan, and the Holy Spirit groans. And it may seem a little weird to us initially to think about the Holy Spirit
2: groaning
0: until we think about our Savior on the cross. You know, I did, a, I did a paper earlier this year for Roundtable on the subject of the problem of evil. This is really interesting to me that as, I, as I was studying for the day of my preparation for the paper that I encountered some believers that think that God can't suffer. I go, huh? What do you think God can't suffer? Of course God can suffer. And if Christ could suffer on the cross as He bore our sins upon Himself, can the Holy Spirit not suffer as He dwells within us and, and in some sense takes upon Himself our suffering that we encounter because we are not yet fully adopted because we haven't got the not yet part of the adoption now. And so the Holy Spirit groans within us with groanings that are too deep for words. But that's no problem for God. It's no problem for God that the Holy Spirit, when He's interceding for us, is doing it with unarticulated uh, groanings because God searches the hearts. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we usually think of it in a scary sense. God searches the hearts, He knows the hearts of men, and you know, it's just kind of well, it is pretty scary and ominous, but it's also pretty wonderful and good.
1: Right. I don't know if anybody else has had the same thoughts. I, I don't know if you guys, after you pray or when you're praying, sometimes you stop and pour out your heart to God, and I wonder what
0: the Holy Spirit's praying. Well, actually, yes. How different it is. Yeah. In mind. <laughs> yeah. I wonder
2: what He's saying.
0: Well, we're going to learn a little bit about what He's saying in the next verse yeah. when we hit 28, okay? And we'll learn a little bit about that next week. But one of the things that's exciting to me, and I'll tell a story about Herb here in a second. But one of, one of the stories, that's one of the things that's exciting to me here is that when I hit that wall of I don't know how to pray as I ought. And I did yesterday morning. I said, God, listen to your spirit. Just listen to your spirit, because I don't know what to pray about this. And the story, and I've actually told this story a number of times. Herb is uh, when when you were when you were in your uh, uh, officer's quarters there on on uh, Kadena, and I was uh, he was an officer, and I was an enlisted man, but we fraternized anyway. Uh, but he was an officer, and up on Kadena Air Base on Okinawa, and I was an enlisted man on a, on a uh, strate- uh, on the administrative part of a, of a strategic missile site. And uh, I was a, I was a medic, but but we were in ministry together with the navigators over there. And uh, and so we had a lot of interaction fellowship together and we uh, did a lot of fun stuff together for a number of several years there. A couple of years while we were together. But but I called her one time. I had I had duty uh, at night, uh, so I couldn't leave the couldn't leave the site because I had uh, duty. And and so I just wanted to check in with her. So I called him on the phone. And uh, and he told me he says oh I'm sitting here so and so has come to visit and there was this the guy a mutual acquaintance of ours who had come to visit uh, Herb and they were sitting there and he... pardon well I don't remember who it was uh, actually I thought it was somebody else I don't remember who it was but it was somebody who wasn't saved and Herb was talking with him and and I'm talking on the phone with Herb and I'm saying so. Oh, so what do you, well, Herb couldn't tell me exactly what they, because Herb was sharing the gospel. I had no clue what they were talking about. But I remember, very, and, and so I said, well, you want me to pray for you? And Herb said, yes, you know. So I remember very specifically, never forgotten this, I went out at the end of my barracks and set out on the stairs, the fire escape stairs at the end of the barracks, and I just prayed, I said, God, I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know what's going on over there. So, I'm just going to sit here real quiet, and I'm going to let your spirit pray for me, and pray for Herb, and pray for this guy. And so I just shut up. And I just sat there quietly, and just kind of said amen to whatever the spirit was praying. And Herb called me back an hour or two later. We talked again later. And this fellow had gotten saved. Holy Spirit's praying for us, folks. And we're going to explore the depth of this more next week as we go on. Because this gets pretty exciting. Because what it really means is that ultimately we're going to become what God wants us to be. Because it's not dependent on me being able to pray the right things. He wants me to pray. He tells me to pray according to the will of God, which means I need to study and I need to learn what that means. And I need to make my best effort to pray according to the will of God. But when my prayer reaches its end, which it does very quickly, the Holy Spirit is within me. And the God who searches my heart, who knows my heart, if He knows my heart, He certainly knows the heart of the Spirit. And one of the reasons He knows the heart of the Spirit he says here is because the Spirit always makes intercession according to the will of God. <laughs> of course, He does. He's God, right? And so I know. Oftentimes, I come to, many times I pray for things that are just the opposite of what God's will is. Not because I intend to, but just because, you know, it's just that's part of being in this slavery to corruption that I am. And so I I don't know what, and as hard as I try to figure out, I oftentimes, I'm sure, pray contrary to what God will, apparently, because I have a lot of prayers that don't get answered. <laughs> At least not the way I expected, okay? So I, so I find myself praying things that apparently aren't according to God's will, or, or, I, or I'll pray about something and I'll go, I don't know what God's will. Have you ever prayed for somebody to be healed? Now, there are those that think, you know, well, you always know God wants to heal people, but obviously that is not true. and We won't go into that theology at this point. But, you know, when you pray for somebody to be healed, there's always that question in the back of your mind, isn't there? Is this God's will? And so I say, well, God, this is what I want, but I don't know if this is what you want, but I do know this, that whatever the Spirit in me is groaning with, is according to the will of God and even though his groanings are inarticulate cannot be put in words God who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit and he knows what the spirit is groaning for that ought to give us a tremendous confidence and in fact that's exactly where Paul is headed in these next verses as we reach the end of Romans chapter 8 here, these last number of verses in Romans chapter 8, and it's all about confidence in where we are headed. And it's all based on the fact that the Holy Spirit is praying for us with groanings too deep for words according to the will of God. Okay? Well, next week we get that great verse where all things work together for good to those who love God. Okay?